Welcome to the Business Owner Transition with Mike Quinlan, where we bring you content to help you transition your business on your terms. On this show, I have Chris Means. Chris is a principal with Pinnacle Planning and is an expert in advanced business continuity and asset protection strategies for business owners. You'll find Chris's contact information in the description of this episode. We just completed our first class of the fall cohort of the Business Owner Transitions Academy, where we focused on the first big question, which is, how much do you need from your transaction? And how do you know? During the discussion, students had questions about the risk to their personal balance sheet. So I called up Chris and I asked him to come on in here and talk to us about it. Chris, thank you so much for being with us today. And uh, we look forward to hearing your wisdom and experience around working with business owners, especially in the realm of business continuity and asset protection. Two major elements of uh, building enterprise value and also uh, the transferability of that enterprise value. So, Chris, I know you've got the big five. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your big five in, in businesses that you've worked with. Okay, and thank you again, Mike. So, in 33-plus years of being in the insurance business and working with business owners, there's five that I see pretty continuously. The first one is no disability buyout funding of their buy-sell agreement. Typically, they do fund the life insurance provision, which deals with death, but rarely do they do it on the disability side. I bet 70% of the time that is unfunded. So that would be one. Another one would be no key person life insurance on executives in the firm that are critical to the economics of the company or valuable in other ways. They don't have any coverage to address that. Third is valuation. A lot of companies don't have a valuation. They haven't thought of it. A lot of times they're so busy doing what they do best that they're just trying to generate increased value in the business. So uh, I see a problem there a lot of times, and that directly affects how we fund the buy-sell agreement. Another is uh, not reviewing existing buy-sell agreements. A lot of times I get in and I look at buy-sell agreements that are 10, 15 years old. Now there's various partners that weren't in there originally, and the value of the company is tenfold. So that's very problematic. And every now and then I see them where they don't have them at all. And then lastly, business owners that don't take advantage of doing personal, maybe insurance or benefits through the business, they just haven't thought of it. And there's creative ways they can do that as a business owner. Okay, great. Well, let's start talking about disability. And disability can be devastating for a business. A lot of business owners think about if I die, then I will have insurance in place that my family can use to replace my income or potentially um, activate a buy-sell agreement that we've got or have uh, key employees that may be incented to stay around for a period of time to uh, help sell the business or continue running it. But disability tends to be something that is not really thought of very much as you just alluded to. Can you tell me the difference between disability insurance and disability buyout coverage? It's a great question. Disability insurance pays you a check if you become disabled. Personally, you get that money and you can pay your mortgage with it, you can pay bills with it. it it's a, 
basically replaces your income while you don't have an income. Disability buyout is very different. That funds the buy-sell agreement of the business partner who becomes disabled typically after one year. So what that means is that business owner after a year of disability is going to be bought out for his share, his ownership value in a lump sum typically. So they're very different. As you construct these scenarios, because you advise on this stuff, you don't just fund it. Uh, part of your That's job correct. is to work with the business owner and work with the attorneys as you're putting this document together, correct? That's correct. So we work with the advisors, um, and what we do is we consult. And we re I read the documents, and we look for provisions, and we want to make sure, A, all the provisions are in there, and B, that the provisions are written correctly. An example of what I see often where the provisions are not written correctly is the death and the disability provisions will have it tied to an insurance policy. Well, two things can happen. One is they may not have an insurance policy, and B, that insurance policy may be 10 years old, so the value may now be threefold. At death, they're only going to get a third of that value. Where's the company gonna come up with the additional money because they don't have in that provision a buyout clause, a formula to take advantage of what's over and above the insurance? That's a great question. The interesting part of what you just discussed was the fact that, you know, what is this designed for, right? It's designed for this gap to understand whether or not this other owner is going to be able to come back, right, and be additive to the business. And after a year, if they're not able to come back, then, you know, the document is allowing for the business to be able to move forward. That's correct. So as you're having these conversations with these these partners, for example, and you talk to them about, hey, it's important to include specific language around disability, do they think a year's too long or not enough or what are their, how do they feel about it? That's a it? good question. You know, we, they tend to think shorter term, but it's really the long term, which is, is the financial, can be the financial burden. It's not the short term where they're going to have an issue with the money, it's the long term. So if, if you don't have a provision and if you don't have it funded, that disabled executive, or I'm sorry, disabled partner can come in and they can demand money as long as they want to. So by having the provision written correctly and having it funded, it's a way for the business to be able to A, buy them out 100% through the transfer to, from an, you know, to an insurance company, and B, make sure they don't come back and disrupt the business and ask for money because they haven't been made whole. Yeah, there's money there. There's emotion there. There's families that emotion. need to be taken care of in this whole thing. And sometimes it's just looked at as another clause in a contract or in a, an agreement that needs to be added, but without deeply thinking about what the real impact to your family is. That's correct. And it's interesting, you, know, you talked about emotion, and that's a big part of it. If you have a partner who's disabled, obviously it's affecting his family, it's affecting the business, it's affecting himself and how he handles day-to-day -day business. One issue, too, that comes in on the business side is if you have an executive or partner that becomes disabled, after three months you can no longer pay that executive and write it off as wages. You cannot deduct it. So you have to have something in there that addresses that. And a lot of business owners don't know that. They, they think that if a partner gets disabled, they're gonna pay him forever. We can handle it. We'll just be able to do it. Well, they can't deduct it after three months. 
and probably it's not going to be efficient because that person's not going to be working there. They're going to be a drag on the revenue. So you have to address it. Right. I think it's really important. And you're three times more likely to become disabled than you are to die. So the chances of that happening are far more greater than death, which usually they have funded. Got it. And so you talked about something a little bit earlier that caught my ear, which is valuation. In buy-sell agreements, I often see when I'm when I'm reading through them, and I know that you read lots and lots of buy-sell agreements. I do. There, if there is a va- uh, valuation provision in there, it typically is out of date or really is not specific enough to truly address a buy-sell or especially in a disability type scenario. That's correct. And disability is three times more likely to happen than death. And you know people do. So the valuation is a lot of times pegged by the insurance, especially on the life side. So if there's nothing in writing on the value of the company or what their shares are worth, that life insurance policy on each partner pegs the value. The problem with that is as they increase in value over time, which we hope they do, that's the point of the business, a lot of times it's not addressed in the document. So say a partner has $500,000 value, their, their equity position is 500000 and they're insured for that, and that was done five years ago now, their share is a million, they pass away, the company has 500000 to buy that partner's estate out, problem is where's the other five hundred coming from? And a lot of times we look for in buy-sell agreements language that addresses that. And usually there's a five-year buyout and there's a, they address the increase in value. A lot of old buy-sell agreements don't have it and all they have is whatever the insurance provides. Right. So one of the, I believe what you're telling me also is that this policy is written at a specific level. So it's Five hundred thousand dollars, for example, in this in this example, and the valuation may be a million dollars, and so there's this gap, this five hundred thousand dollar gap. And how often do you uh, is, are there any riders or anything that can automatically increase this, or how often do you recommend that business owners revisit this this policy? It's a great question. There really aren't any riders because we're using term insurance to fund mm-hmm. this, and. If they have to go and get new insurance to, for the increase in value, they got to go through underwriting. So we try to address it every three years or so, unless there's a major increase in value, and we just try to stay in touch with the client, and make sure that you know we're addressing it. You're truly serving in an advisory role to your clients, as you do when you're working with the academy. We have a advisory team around the business owner and it's not a one and done type scenario where the key the team comes in we write a document and a set of recommendations for the client and for the business owner and then we don't see them again right we we spend time with them over a number of years as they're preparing for their particular exit so in your advisory capacity you're going back to them and uh, how often are you doing a or looking at evaluation? In what we do with the academy, we're set up in a position where we can do annual valuations for the business to show the business owner how they're progressing over time. Right. So that 
I think what you're saying is that kind of 24 to 36 month revisit time is a good time for disability insurance. It is. It depends on the business. You know, if they have high growth, then obviously we want to do it sooner. But like you say, we've got advisors that work with the business owner. So we're all pretty much in touch. And we know if there's something that's going to trigger us having to go in and maybe do some more insurance because the value's gone up so much. I'm sure that you've seen lots of good outcomes from properly used insurance and then all, maybe some not so good ones as well. Um, maybe just give us a quick story on, on one of the two, your okay. choice. I will talk about maybe both sides of it. Okay. So um, have a, a law firm that's really exploded in value. And they brought me in to look at the buy-sell agreement and look at the insurance policies. They were done about seven, eight years ago. And um, I want to say it was a 50-50 partnership, and they had maybe 250 each. Right. The value of the, of the firm now is $8 million. And they've got a new partner that's only a 10% partner. So not only do we have to obviously do the funding for an $8 million firm, we also had to redo the buy-sell agreement completely because they had zero provisions for a buyout over and above the life insurance. So the good thing is nobody passed away. Um, the bad news is they hadn't addressed it in a long time and the business had exploded partly because they were so busy with their business. They just, business owners a lot of times are so busy doing what they do best, it's hard for them to focus on this kind of thing. And so it's up to us as advisors to bring it to their attention and make sure they do because until a death or disability, they may never think about it and then it's too late. The other thing that I think that is interesting that you just said is that business owners are really good at doing what they do and they get really busy trying to make it work and off they forget this kind of stuff, right? They just put it out of the back of their mind. Right. And uh, when they sometimes are creating their initial paperwork for their business, they may have a operating agreement and that operating agreement may or may not have provisions in it for buy sell language, business continuity issues. Right. So sometimes I guess you see separate documents that are designed just as buy sell documents. We do. Yeah, and we look for provisions in those documents. Mm -hmm. uh, disability, death, divorce, bankruptcy, somebody wants to leave early, and we want to make sure that they've all been addressed, every possibility. You're using these various types of insurance as a tool to address a strategy around business continuity or business asset protection, correct? That's correct. Yeah, both in a sense, because continuity means that if they don't have the liquidity to buy somebody out or buy a disabled partner, the company could go under. They just don't have the money. Right. And two, it's, it's protecting each partner and their value of the business. So it's, it's, just, it's a very inexpensive way to make sure that the business stays on course and is successful no matter what happens. Whatever life event happens, they're taken care of. What about that head sales guy? That's a great point. So this is where we're kind of transitioning into the key person life insurance. So if they're key to the business economically, we want to insure them and there's some subjectivity to the amount and that's where I come in as an advisor to help the business owner. But it's very important that that key person, they may be a sales manager, they may be driving the sales of the company, that we insure them for an amount that if they do pass away, that money comes into the business to give them day one liquidity to recruit, hire, 
uh, just get through maybe a time where they need cash. So it's really important. The great news about Key Person Life is it's very inexpensive. We use term insurance because typically we can we can identify a term that's needed for it. Right. Really important. We work with mid-stage uh, growth companies, right, mm-hmm. which I'm sure you work with often. Right. And then we also work with companies that are in that late-stage transition phase where they're looking at getting everything ready to maximize value, maximize the probability of an actual transaction. As you have been involved in M&A transactions in the past and looking at valuations of companies, what is your opinion on uh, the relative values? If you're coming in to look at my company, for Mm -hmm. example, and you see that I don't have these areas buttoned up, is that a ding on value? I think it is, yeah. Two reasons. One is a lot of times the purchaser is going to want to see that. They're going to want to have that in place or they're going to require it as part of the deal. And two, it just it just sheds light on kind of the focus of the business owner. I mean, have they addressed this? Are they looking at this long term? And if they do have those types of coverages in place, it's going to look favorably on right. the purchaser, whoever's looking at them, if it's a cash infusion or 100% buyout. Right. It's really important to have them in there. And a lot of times it can become part of the deal. For example, the seller may have key person life. They may require that to close the, the deal. And if he has it already, it's one less expense they're going to have to do to do the transaction. Again, we talk to our clients about the stability of the management team and using some of these tools to make sure you're locking in the management team mm-hmm. is uh, important. And it also is, is accretive to value uh, in the eyes of the buyer. So not everybody is the same. Sometimes there are health issues that, that may impact your ability to use some of these tools. Very much Talk so. about that just a little bit. So you've got you know, numerous partners. Everybody's different health-wise and age-wise, gender-wise. So um, we have to underwrite to place these products, meaning health questions, exams, medical records. And a lot of times we will have a partner who may be uninsurable or their premiums are going to be a lot higher. And so that is one of the negatives about putting insurance on um, partners. Now, a lot of times they can agree to put something in the buy-sell agreement to deal with that partner who cannot get insurance. Maybe it's a 10-year buyout, but a lot of times we can work through that um, if they are uninsurable and it happens. Give me an example of the mechanics of kind of equalization across that. So say there's three partners, three equal partners, as equal as can be. Um, So we would do, for example, on a buy-sell for life insurance, if the business is worth three million, we do a million on each partner money would come into the business, and then the document would bind them to have to buy those shares from the estate. And if two of them are insurable and they can get a great premium for a million dollars, 10 year of 2,000 a year, but the third one's uninsurable, that means that one of the partners obviously is unfunded. So they're gonna have to come up with a way to address that. And a lot of times they will buy the insurance on the two that are healthy, and on the third uninsured, they're going to put something in the document on a buyout clause, some way to fund that and to have it in writing. But it happens a lot Okay. Have partners. So it just, it's part of it. For larger companies where you have 
three or four partners and a valuation of 60 or $70 million, how does that change the landscape for both this disability and also for the buy-sell? That's a great question. So for the buy-sell life insurance side, we can write that amount. We just use various carriers. Carriers have retention limits, so we may write it among three carriers if they wanna fully insure that risk. Companies of that size have good liquidity. So a lot of times they may choose to fund half of it and they may use cash to fund the other part of it. So that's pretty common. And you know, when you're doing the insurance, obviously, again, you have to underwrite them. So that may come into play as well. On the disability buyout side, carriers will usually limit it to two to three million maximum. And then anything over that we go to Lloyd's that would have to specialize and write the excess. A lot of times, I'll tell you, Mike, the disability premiums are gonna be higher, usually eight to 10 times higher. So that DI disability buyout piece, they may decide to do none of it, some of it, and the life side and the disability side can be different amounts. So the idea, though, is not kind of a one-trick pony, right? It's not. It is multiple different ways to put together almost a portfolio of strategies in order to fund this liquidity for disabled partner or the deceased partner over a period of time. So part of it might be insurance, part of it might be internally generated liquidity over a period of time. There could be you know, some dollars that are set aside on the balance sheet for some of this stuff. Yeah. And for those larger companies, there might even be other advanced techniques in the form of captives or other right. other vehicles to be able to do that. Now that's outside the scope of our conversation today, but might be something that we come back and talk about. We could have a topic on just captives. <laughs> that, that could be a, a good session. That's right. We talked a little bit about valuation and I can tell you that I see that that is, a, is an issue as you're looking at this. Not reviewing or amending original buy-sell agreements was another one that you referred to. And tell me a story or two about what you see there. Well, uh, you know, go back to the law firm. Great example of they just hadn't addressed it. Right. Um, as businesses grow and get partners and their value increases, they just, again, forget about this document and they don't address it. So our role is to come in and make sure that we are addressing what the current value is and making sure we're looking at the language and making sure it's good. So the biggest thing I see with with businesses is they have the original document of maybe it was two original owners, it was done 10 years ago, the language is archaic, there's no formula, it's underfunded or there's no insurance. So it's really important when we get in there to amend it or redo it completely and then make sure we funded it. So I see that all the time. I've seen cases where there is no document. You know, when startups have it, they're so busy doing what they do to get off the ground, and they're told, you know, by the attorney, you need a document. But I've had gone in business, they don't have a document. How many times do they add somebody as a partner as a, or as an owner, and they don't show up in any of the buy-sell? That's happens all the time, yeah. And, and even the new partner really hadn't thought about it doesn't protect them. Let's talk also a minute about sale bonuses and stay bonuses. And, you know, in life and in transaction, how does that help keep key employees engaged through 
triggering event. So a great example of both of those is what's called an executive bonus. And we see this a lot of times. It's a non-qualified retirement type plan where the business will fund an amount of contribution, say 25000 a year, for the employee, and they'll handcuff that employee. They'll say, we're going to do this over five years. We're going to invest you at 20% a year. At the end of five years, if you're still with us, we're going to give you 100% of ownership in that. And the other, other thing you can do with that, which is the second point you made, is if that person is going to eventually want to buy into that company, it's a way for that funding to be done so at the end of five, ten years, they can use the cash value inside that plan that's theirs to help with the buyout. So it serves two purposes. One, handcuff the executive, and two, to help them maybe fund the buyout that they're going to have down the road. Obviously, it gives them benefits as well. Company gets a tax deduction. The executive is going to pay a bonus on whatever that is. You can double it up so they have net out of pocket. There's so many ways you can design these flexible plans, but that's probably the most common. What size companies typically are really taking advantage of this? Are these, you know, what is the enterprise value of something like this? It's interesting. So if you go to a company report, Fortune 500 companies, and you look at their balance sheet, millions of dollars are spent on key person life insurance and non-qualified retirement planning. So major corporations are doing this. We tend to work with the smaller privately held companies where the business owners tend to do it for themselves and for a select few. But it's crazy to look at these balance sheets and see how much premium they are. And they're doing the same thing as these small businesses because they get the leverage concept. And they get the fact that they can take advantage of tax laws to set these programs up. So we just tend to work with smaller companies. I think I heard you mention a little bit earlier ERISA and plans that are not subject to ERISA. That's correct. So ERISA is qualified plans. Mm -hmm. These are non-qualified, so you can discriminate. You can pick and choose who you want to have. You can have one person getting a contribution of X and the other one Y. Completely flexible. The only thing you have to do is have something in writing that the plan is in place. That's the only requirement. Right. There has to be a document. And just to uh, clarify, too, ERISA-type plans might be a 401k plan, profit-sharing plan, those types of things. That's exactly right. Very scrutinized with regulations. Non-qualified is on the other end. There's a lot of techniques that you can use. And again, we're talking back to the macro strategies, right, of protecting value in your company because you are keeping key employees around. You're incentivizing them to stay both during a a potentially a uh, majority ownership change, and then also in the event that something happens during, uh, you know, to the business owner, to to you people that are listening to us right now. That's exactly right. Uh, And the idea here is by protecting that value, your family, your personal balance sheet remains intact. That's it. It's the bottom line. And you're, you're doing, you're building goodwill with your employees when you do that. You're, you're basically providing benefits for them, and there's just goodwill all around. A lot of times um, it can be for a buyout, but even if it's not, you're providing that benefit. I think one of your one of your five things was that business owners aren't necessarily taking advantage of the opportunities that they have. That's correct. Yes. Yeah, so, you know, one is the example I just used with the executive bonus. Um, they can do that, and 
you know, C corporations and pass-throughs obviously have different benefit levels that they can enjoy from a tax advantage. But, you know, a great example of, and we're seeing this a lot with older business owners, and I, you know, by older I'm saying maybe mid-50s to mid-60s. They, you know, we get a lot of questions about long-term care insurance. So a great example is a lot of times they can fund long-term care insurance and use their business and get some tax deductibility. Not as great with pass-through as there are for C corporations, but there are some deductibility and they can take advantage of it through their business. C corporations get full deductibility for all partners, S corps get partial disability. Just to recap a little bit today, we have talked about several important concepts that relate back to maintaining value inside your business and also the continuity of the operations of your business. Disability insurance, which not very many people really think about, uh, and that disability buyout coverage. The second thing is that key person life insurance. So who are those key people in your company? And just to jump back into that for a second, do you often have to counsel business owners on the definition of a key person? Yes, a lot of times, and I also have to counsel them on what, how much. Right. We we use formulas to come up with it, but yeah, a lot of times we do. Yeah, so we talk about that in the academy often, as we we've got a, a module on that, and we talk about, hey, let's tell me who your key people are, and they'll tell us six, seven, eight different people, okay. and we're like, okay, well, if you were gone tomorrow, which of those six, seven, eight people would it be that you would have to have to run the business? And that's a great way to question it. Yeah. And it, they, they, a lot of times they'll identify that one person. That's right. And usually they're the economic driver of the that's company. That's right. Yeah. Uh, disability buyout coverage, key person life insurance, not having evaluation, which is a uh, key element that I think it's at least having evaluation methodology. I wor- recently worked on a case where a business owner was trying to make some decisions on potential equity transfer and the valuation language that they had in their operating agreement actually didn't provide for, first of all, didn't provide for any kind of equity transfer, but secondly, the definitions that were used in the valuation method that they had developed um, were not actually accepted valuation definitions by anybody other than the business owner. So it could be highly contested in the event of uh, a disagreement, which uh, he did not want to have happen. So we actually engaged a valuation professional to come in and do that that valuation for us. He was also able to use that, that same valuation to help with some of these business continuity issues that we're talking right. about right now. And can't they also help them on ways they can enhance their value in the future? That's right. And as we use valuations in, in our business to work with business owners on increasing, again, increasing transaction value in the enterprise and then also the probability of an actual successful transaction, we're using uh, the I'm good checklist. The I'm good checklists are key value driver areas across a business. Each of those particular value driver groups directly impacts either the cash flow of the business or the overall quality of the business, which said another way means de-risking future cash flows. Right. 
Yeah. Okay. And so valuation folks, they actually look at each one of those things and uh, you know give credit or takeaways for valuation for those. Mm -hmm. We also talked about the need to keep your buy-sell agreements up to date. Mm -hmm. And we also talked about taking advantage of opportunities as a business owner, protecting that value and protecting the continuity, but also doing the right thing for your family. That's correct. So taking advantage of some things you can do for personal protection. Now, Chris has offices here in Atlanta and in Savannah, mm -hmm. which uh, is a great place to have an office <laughs> and can work with clients across all 50 states, just, just like we do. Chris, it's uh, been a real pleasure. I always learn something every time I sit down and talk with you. And all of our clients are happy to have you on the team of advisors that put together the best thinking of the group to be able to get that owner in a position where they are maximizing value and they are maximizing probability. There's the ability to get more people looking at them so they have a better opportunity to sell the company. So thank you very much and we appreciate it. And we will talk more, maybe get into some of these really other fun topics that sure. uh, we can certainly address. So thanks again, and I appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. I really appreciate it as well.